Uh, so I want to, of course, start off by uh, saying Happy Father's Day, wishing all the, the fathers a Happy Father's Day. Um, it's just, uh, it's a special day. It's a special day to think about fatherhood, being a father, and especially God as our father, and what that really means. Um, so this will be my, I think this is my first Father's Day sermon that I've ever done, it, but it, I, I could be wrong about that. It's been a few years, so, but it's definitely my first one as a father. Um, and I've been a father for about a, close to a year and a half, not quite, of uh, my little daughter, Harlow, who maybe you saw up here just a second ago. And uh, you, becoming a parent changes, well, it changes you, but it changes the way that you see the world, changes the way that you see God, changes the way that you see the way that God sees you. Um, and, you know, being a, uh, a Christian, uh, being married, I got, being a part of a, such a loving church, I've got to experience so much love in my life. And so, metaphorically speaking, I was swimming in the water, I was diving deep down into the water of, of love, and um, then I had, then Harlow came, and I thought the water was so deep, but it turns out I was just swimming in a pond, and like now I'm swimming in the ocean, once Harlow got here. It really just changes your view of love. And so I just want to encourage everybody, wherever you are today, because Father's Day can, can bring up a lot of feelings, a lot of, well, we'll stick with that word, a lot of feelings. <laughs> I'm in my feelings today a little bit. You'll probably see that. Um, wherever you are today, you need to know that's not what I wanted to show. I wanted to show this, but we'll get to those pictures. That God is a father to the fatherless. And he sets the lonely in families. And when he sets the lonely in families, it doesn't just mean, oh, here's a family. Like, this, this one will work. Not a dysfunctional family, not a discombobulated family, but... The divine family. So regardless of your experience, you have a father today. And I hope you can get just a taste of his love. And so, of course, it's Father's Day. You know, the Word of God says that when we boast, we boast only in the Lord. Parentheses except on Father's Day, because I'm going to boast in my daughter right now. Um, but, you know, by boasting in her, I really am just boasting in the Lord because she is the gift that God has given me. So that's her short... I got that little sling on, and so she's, you know, just... I love that. She's super close to me. This is when we're up in Duluth, hanging out with Lee and Morgan and Lincoln, their, their little son, and, and Will and Rosalind, who a lot of you probably know, and, and their daughter, Bailey, and... Harlow's trying to just casually gouge my eye out. 
Um, and this is us around Christmas time, just taking pictures. I'm having a lot of fun throwing her, and she looks terrified. Uh, but that's just, I'm just sharing Harlow with you guys. Um, being a father has, not, not just being a father, but the world, there's a great need in our world right now. And that need, the greatest need of our world, is godly men. Because God designed men to lead. And wherever men lead, the world follows. And, but that doesn't mean maybe what you think it means at first. When God designs men to lead, he designs them to be the first to serve. To be the first to love, to be the first to be sacrificial of themselves. Basically, it means to be like Jesus. He was the greatest leader who ever lived. We need godly men. And a primary aspect of being a godly man or a godly father or a godly person, for that matter, I'm, I'm going to speak to the men quite a bit today, but uh, this applies to everyone else in many of the same ways. A primary aspect of being a godly person is a desire and a life that produces oneness. So we're going to be talking about oneness today. A father who desires oneness. Now, oneness is a word that does not do what I'm trying to communicate to you any justice. Because, right, it's kind of like the word love. Right? Love is supposed to have, like, like we say things like, I love cake. You don't actually love cake, you just want to eat the cake. There's a difference. So the word oneness. So I'm going to use some images you know, because words sometimes fall short. So let's try to use some images to get us thinking about oneness. So we're starting pretty small here. This is a picture of a reversible t-shirt. Pretty cool, huh? It's two shirts in one. It's blue on one side, gold on the other. If you take off the tag, you know, you can wear it both ways. Incredible. So, I, I don't know, that's maybe not quite what I'm getting at yet either, so let's try another one. Swiss Army Knife. Now, we got like 30 things in one right here. There's all kinds of, I'm not a handyman, so I don't know three quarters of those tools. Right, pretty, pretty cool. All right, maybe we're getting there. Hey, how about this? Transformer. Bumblebee the Transformer, if any of you guys you know, even know, see, actually I've never even seen him, but I think the concept is really cool. It, it's the sweet yellow Camaro, which is awesome, but then at the same time, it's this world-slaying robot. Like, wow, now, now we're talking, like bringing two different things together into one. I think I can top this, though. I think I can top this. So this is a photo of two people who were formerly conjoined twins. And as you can see, they've basically been separated right down the middle, surgically. How do you, how do you get closer 
than that. Like, to be physically conjoined. That's pretty crazy. But the picture that God uses is marriage. Why? Why do you think that is? Because in a marriage, in a successful marriage, in a godly marriage, what it's supposed to look like is that two people who are different on so many levels and have totally different stories and totally different lives, they come together. And they're supposed to magnify each other's strengths and hide each other's weaknesses. They're supposed to love each other through thick and through thin, through heaven and hell, the tallest mountain and the lowest valley. They're supposed to be more vulnerable with their spouse than anyone else in the whole world. Yield, right? Yield to one another when it's appropriate. This is your strength. I'll yield to you. This is your strength. I'll yield to you. But even this, this is just a picture. This is just an image. This isn't even the oneness that God's talking about. This is, this is a signpost to it. This isn't quite the perfect picture. And that marriage that you're looking at is definitely not the perfect marriage. So what, what is going on? How does this represent oneness more so than all those other things that we saw and more than anything else on earth? This is a very important principle that I want you to learn. Come away with this today. That oneness happens when you exchange spirits. When you give someone your inner being, your spirit, and they give theirs. Oneness is what happens. So there must be spirit. A rock does not become one with another rock. There's spirit. And this is also very important. This is why a person can be made one with a dog, but not with a cat, because cats have no spirit with which to exchange. I thought of the wind holes was when I was thinking of that. Godly people desire this, a godly person desires this type of oneness, this type of closeness with God and with their fellow man. Let's go ahead and get into our text for today. John 14, 8, Philip said to Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And don't you ever feel like Philip? Like, man, God, can you just show yourself, please? Like, sometimes you're so obvious that you're there, but sometimes I feel like you're nowhere to be found. Jesus, please show us the Father. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The relationship described, right? We see Jesus talking about him being in the Father and the Father being in him. The words that he speaks aren't even of his own authority. The will that is being done in his life isn't even his own. It's the Father's. So where is the line of separation? How do you separate Jesus and the Father? You know, one of the primary things that God is trying to communicate to the world through the life of Jesus, through the life and ministry of Jesus, is that as a human being, Jesus was fully human. You can have this level of closeness, of oneness with God, of this, of this ilk, of the same caliber, that type of closeness. That's, that's, that's how accessible God is. That's how accessible he's trying to make himself to be through the life and ministry of Jesus to you. And our, our view, the world's view of closeness, what it means to be one, what it means to be close, is just so beneath God a lot of the times. Like, God's got a way bigger imagination than we do. Because a lot of times, you know, we think something like sex will make us close to someone. There's a lot of people who have sex and pretty lonely. Think marriage. I mean, how could that not make you close to somebody? There's a lot of lonely married people. Think that, well, similar interests, right? I mean, that does help. It does help relationships get started, similar interests. How many, you know, we have so many Milwaukee Bucks fans in here. Milwaukee Bucks going to the Eastern Conference Finals, okay? You know, but how many Milwaukee Bucks fans would you say that you're one with? If I could just gain their approval, right? If I could gain someone's respect, maybe then I could, you know, have a friendship with them or be one with them. But there are a lot of people who we think very highly of or very lonely. The world is starving for oneness, for closeness. And it's God the Father who can bring this. And it's God the Father working through the fathers of this world that can bring this to our world. Let's keep reading in our... We're going to just skip ahead a few verses. John 14, 16 now. So we skipped about five verses. And this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. 
This is shortly before he goes to the cross. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. How can Jesus say, I will not leave you as orphans? Hasn't it been a little over 2,000 years? Since he left? So what is this some kind of, you know, God's time, you know, a year is like a day, a day is a thousand years. You guys know that that scripture, time, God's outside of time. He says, I will come to you. Guys, the, the meaning of this is actually super obvious when you just, Back up for a second. Jesus is saying that he comes to us through his spirit. That's how he hasn't left us as orphans. He's come to us through his spirit. The spirit of truth. And Jesus says something kind of mind-blowing in verse 20. He says, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father. Okay, if you know anything if you know even a little bit about Jesus, uh, you can probably pretty confidently say, yeah, you know what, Jesus, I think he's in the Father. Yeah. I mean, just look at the guy's life. Like, this dude, him and the Father, got each other on speed dial. <laughs> and you are in me. Okay, so now, now we've got to believe that we are in Jesus. And it's a little harder, but if you think or you are a Christian. That means that you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, that would be that would, that's salvation language. You would not be safe if you're outside of Christ. And so even if you believe that you're in Christ and you know you're just escaping by just barely escaping the flames of hell, you believe that you are in Christ. But then Jesus says, so if we can get ourselves to believe that, and he says, and I am in you. Do you believe that? If you were to have a, you know, let's just say a nice, anybody love a good coffee talk? You know, hey, let's get some coffee and just hang out and talk, get to know each other. If you had like a two-hour coffee talk with Jesus, it would be sweet. And you looked, right, you're talking to him. You got two hours, it's just you and him. And you look and, you, you know, you make eye contact with him and you, and you gaze, you look, you're looking at each other right in the eyes as you're talking. What do you think you would see in Jesus' eyes? I think that you would see an intense love. 
an indestructible will. Irreproachable integrity. An undivided singular focus. And all of these things, right? All these things that made Jesus who he was and who he is. Those are not the things that he did. Those are the things that made him who he is. And that's his inner man. That's his spirit. All those things that make Jesus who he is, is his spirit. And he gives his spirit to us. Your spirit is actually the most that you can give someone. Because even if you give your life for somebody, which is a lot, it's over and done with once you give your life. But if you give someone your spirit, they now have the freedom and the ability to misuse it, to abuse it, to use it to their own advantage. It's a very vulnerable place to be in to give someone your spirit. And so often we, and if you're anything like me, just don't believe Jesus when he says, I am in you. I have to pray for hours just to, just to believe that enough to come up in here and talk to you for 30 minutes. Since becoming a father, one thing that I, I can't understand, even more so than I couldn't understand it before, was how God sacrificed his son, his child. Like, I'm, I, I don't know, I hope this isn't news to you, but I ain't sacrificing Harlow for any of you. I love you, I love you. Like, matter of fact, if I had to make choice, I might sacrifice all of you for Harlow. <laughs> That's how much I love her. And so the question is, when we look at God, and if we were to ask God, God, what are you willing to sacrifice for oneness, for closeness? Men, men of the world so quickly will sacrifice their purity for pleasure. They'll so quickly sacrifice relationships and people for money and career. I mean, quickly and easily. So quickly and so easily sacrifice their integrity for notoriety, fame, power. And even sometimes, as noble as it is, sacrifice even their life for glory. But that's not the measure of a man. The measure of, man, of a man is what will a man sacrifice for oneness. And that's why Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived. 
And so, the only way to achieve this kind of oneness, this kind of closeness, is by the power of God. You can't have it any other way. What, what I'm describing, right, this level of intimacy is, is impossible. It's impossible to be willing to go that far for other people. What is possible, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so, how do we, how do we, let's, let's transition now to like, how do we take these truths of how God like wants to be one with us and, and how does it become a life of ours that desires and produces oneness? I got, I got two things. The second one has a few sub, sub, titles, okay? So the first thing that we need to do is we need to trust God's Spirit. we got to trust God's Spirit. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's a rhetorical question. He's already given us his son. He's already given us his spirit. What do you think he is going to withhold from you? When you trust God's spirit, when you lean into that, you you know that God is withholding nothing from you. You're free to release your spirit. Because this your, your facade is, is no longer needed, no longer necessary. Because here's the thing. When, God, when you know that God withholds nothing from you, you no longer need to maneuver your way through life to get things for yourself or to maneuver your way so that people think a certain way about you because God withholds nothing from you. And the other cool thing is you don't need to hide either. There's no reason to hide. Because anything that could be exposed that, result, that would result in you losing something or someone's love or someone's respect doesn't matter because God withholds nothing from you. And so when we trust God's spirit, this, this is what frees us then to give our spirit. So my, my challenge for you today is, is to learn to be a student and to commit yourself to giving your spirit away. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Because what happens when you give your spirit, this is what happens. People see your spirit. They sense your spirit. Right? But it's not just your spirit. Because the spirit of God is one with your spirit. And so then they see God's spirit. And then the transforming power of God starts to get into their lives. And they see God. And they start to love God. And that's when the church, that's when people become Christians and the church grows and God is glorified. So a practical for giving your spirit is to pray. 
Psalm 62, 8 says, pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. You know, prayer is a funny thing because prayer is acting as if though God were real. You get on your knees and you talk to an empty room. You realize that if somebody walked in, you look like a lunatic. (laughs) It's a vulnerable act of sharing your spirit to look like a lunatic for God. God, I believe that you're real. Pour your heart out. That's how you share your spirit, God. Right? And remember, it's oneness happens in an exchanging of spirits. And so God is giving you his spirit, but if you withhold yours, the closeness, the oneness is stopped. Another way is to live a life of confession, of transparency, of vulnerability, all of those things. Confession. You know, I was, I want, I've actually, I've shared this before, but it was a while ago. I was watching this show, and it was, this show has nothing to do with God, you know, but a woman in the show, a character, said something in the show that has always stuck with me. Um, She, in the show, she's a therapist, and she talks about how, kind of how she became a therapist, and it's because when she finally, like, got open about her life, Right, like all the things that happened to her and the struggles. And, and this is what she said. She said, when I finally got open and shared my story, it was like touching God. And I just thought there's a lot of, that's not in the Bible, but there's a lot of truth in that. And so when you, when you share What's really going on? Does anyone know what's really going on in your heart right now? Those thoughts that, you know, keep you up in the middle of the night? Does anyone else know what's going on? When you give your spirit to your brothers and sisters, that's when you can exchange spirits and become one. Um, lastly here, to love people at their worst. To have great mercy. See, this is where closeness and oneness can really get messed up. This is where kind of like, you know, you have this ideal dream, this ideal picture, and it can kind of all come crumbling down right here. If we don't love people at their worst. Because the reality is that our spirits aren't always pretty. That's the reality. And our sin looks so much worse on other people. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus never condemned anyone except for the Pharisees. And he condemned them because they were self-righteous. And a self-righteous person is someone who is so concerned with their image that they don't give away their spirit and therefore do not experience oneness with God. When we look at God's spirit and realize that he withholds nothing from us, when he's forgiven us and been like, 
that's when we can truly love people at their worst. In your closest relationships, do you magnify or hide their weaknesses? God gave us his spirit. He gave us his inner man. And my question as we wrap up today is, do you give your spouse? Do you give your children? Do you give your roommates? Do you give your brothers and sisters? Do you give the church? Do you give those who are lost, who you're reaching out to? Do you give them your spirit? Your inner being, or or do you hold back even just a sliver of yourself from them? Even just a morsel. Because a lot of times we can draw lines. You know, my hobby time, that's off limits. You can't have any of that. That's for me. Or it's our insecurities. Things that that we don't want to talk about, that we refuse to talk about. Off limits. Another thing that's really commonly off limits is uh, my political views. You know what? That's off limits, and they're not changing. And I'm not talking about it. I got to just say one quick thing about that, actually. <sighs> yeah, everybody, everybody prepare yourselves. So... Can you be one with someone who thinks diff- very differently from you? Because, you know, there's a scripture, it's in Isaiah 55, verse 11, and it says, my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are above your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above yours. And so if you think that... If you're a Christian, you think you're a Christian, and you think that you're one with God whose thoughts are, high, are a universe higher than yours. You have to square that with, why can't I be one with someone who's just on the other side of the political spectrum than me? Experience a renewed oneness and closeness with God and your fellow man by trusting his spirit, by giving your spirit to him, in prayer, giving your spirit in confession, giving your spirit in being merciful and holding nothing back in the same way that God has held nothing back from you. With that, we'll pray for communion. Um, Heavenly Father, you have withheld nothing from us, not even your only Son, and by your Spirit we come to commune with you. God, the, the... the bread and the juice. You're, you're not, Jesus isn't physically in those, but God, through your spirit, we commune with you. And I just pray that this would be a time of, of remembrance, of gratitude, and, and more so of just communion, of being with you, God, and growing closer to you and becoming one with you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.